I uh, want to uh, draw our attention as uh, we finish up our sermon series. First John is one of the shortest letters in the Bible, and it, it, we have gone through it in three months. I mean, it has taken a little while, and I'm sure that we could... Oh, yeah, me. I know. I know. I think my last sermon was 40 minutes long, Liz. I couldn't believe it after I listened to it over again. <laughs> right. Uh, at any rate, we're going to wrap it up, and I'm going to try to make it shorter, because that's kind of the way that John just kind of puts this letter together. Uh, he finishes it up quite quickly. Uh, it's the end of the letter, the end of the communication uh, that, that John wants to have. And I think we could say overall that this letter from John to the churches that, are, that he shepherds is a beautiful letter, right? We've, we've just heard some wonderful things from John, and... Much like our pastor, he is an encouraging pastor to his, his, uh, his flock. The wording he uses here seems to be kind and encouraging. He calls them, and I love this throughout the letter, he calls them what? His little children. Which, I mean, that's not condescending at all. It's actually a beautiful thing. He is saying, you are part of my family. You're, you're not just people in the pews. I didn't know that they had pews back then. Uh, but uh, he calls them his little children. He speaks of knowing of God's love and eternal life. It's all throughout the letter. Uh, Chuck did a wonderful job last week of talking about eternal life. I'm going to touch on that again because he finishes it up like that. Uh, and throughout the, uh, the text, he talks about love and knowing God's love. And, and if we love other people, then the love of God is in us. This is beautiful. And he encourages them to remain in Jesus. Much like he did in his gospel letter, John is the apostle of love, for sure. In fact, Jesus, uh, uh, John will call himself, in the gospel, what do we call himself? The apostle whom Jesus loved. Which sounds a little bit arrogant, but he, he leaves his name out. He leaves his name out, which is actually humble uh, in that. And I think that there was just this reciprocal understanding, this depth of intimacy that John had with Jesus. And he communicates that to these little children, the people that he loves. Now, I think, I think we've all had to face conversations like this in our lives. Or perhaps this, this situation, much like uh, this difficult situation where this, this little flock of people is having this difficulty. And somebody will write us a long letter. Somebody that we love will communicate some encouragement, depth of insight, all serving to have purpose and meaning. We all love these moments. But in these communications, that phone call maybe that you get from somebody that you love, and you just feel like, it's building up to something. Like there's going to be another shoe that's going to drop on the floor. And just as you're about to say goodbye, by the way. And I want to start with that last verse of the text. Because it's, it seems so oddly placed. In all of the letters in the New Testament, it's a strange way to end a letter. Dear children, and he calls them children again, keep yourself from idols. <laughs> It's, and that's it. That's, that's all John says. There, it's that moment of accountability where I hear my mother's voice saying to me, 
don't forget to call your brother because she knows that I haven't called him in about two or three months. Or it's that your boss or your coworker that at the end of your wonderful conversation that you're having or the email that you got, by the way, did you remember to fill out that report? And I didn't. And I have the weekend coming. And I know that when I get back to work on Monday, I've got to do this thing. And that's all I'm thinking about through the weekend. You know what I'm talking about. We've had those situations before. And you think you've escaped this moment in this kind conversation. You've relaxed. You've let yourself kind of, you let all the muscles kind of loosen up in that relationship. And then, boom, he hits with this word, these words. Keep yourself from idols. It seems like such an odd way to end this letter, right? There's no goodbye. There's no cordial ending. There's no greetings to anybody else that's with you. We see this at the end of all of Paul's letters. Greet all of these, this list of people that he loves. Why is this significant in the context of, uh, of this entire letter? Why? Why does John say this? We have idols, don't we? We all know that we do. We keep them. We hold them. We worship idols today, idols of identity, money, material things, our jobs and our status. We've talked about that frequently. Our physical appearance, the worry and the concern that we're not measuring up. We worship entertainment. We worship sex. Okay. That's an idol. Thank you, Liz, for holding us all accountable. <laughs> what is an idol? Well, an idol is when something or someone becomes more important to us than God. That's probably the simple way that we have, uh, we have described what an idol is, right? And we know that there is a commandment in, in the text that reads in Exodus chapter 20, the first two commandments read this, I am the Lord your God. And can you hear John saying something like this? Who brought you out of Egypt. That's a reminder. That is a remembrance to say, remember where you've come from. I am the Lord your God. I am your father. I am Adonai. You shall have no other gods before me. They're coming out of a... Uh, uh, generations of being exposed to idol worship. You shall have no other gods before me. And second, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, and I think about this for a second, am a jealous God. How many of you have a jealous spouse? Would you admit it? Yeah, I know. That's not a, it's, in some ways, it's not a bad thing. If, if Moses is writing down that we have, a, and, he, and God says about himself, I am a jealous God, that's not a bad thing because that's God's devotion to us. That's God's desire for us to be the thing that he sees the most. In his eyes and in his heart, we are the most important to him. And he's jealous of us. And anything that is going to draw our attention away from him as he is pouring all of his attention on us 
is going to break his heart. And this is our God. He's jealous of us. He is jealous for me. This is one, uh, words of one of the songs that we sing. He says, I am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. And then watch this. He multiplies it. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I hear echoing in John's words, keep yourself from idols, this callback to the commandment so that we can understand more of the depth of God's heart and devotion to his creation, to mankind created in his image that he loves dearly. I, I learned something in, in my, my study of, of creation text. We are the only thing in all of creation, mankind, that God breathes life into. Nothing else. We have, and in, in the Jewish understanding of that is that we have the spirit of God inherently in us. Nothing in all creation is quite like we are. We have his presence. And anything that stands in the way of our vision of God or in God's view of his creation, you and I, is idol worship for us. Now, now this starts to make sense, I think, because of what John is dealing with all along. Something has been coming into view for this little flock. Something, some trouble is rising up, and it's beginning to distract the flock from what they should know. This community, this family, you call it false teaching, and it is. So let's review a little bit. I've got a picture up here of, uh, a, uh, uh, it's a kind of an art, artist's rendition of what Gnosticism would look like. This is the very beginning stages. And, and, and Pat and, and Paul and Chuck and I, we've tried to paint this picture of what this looks like. But here's, a, here's an artist's rendition. And here is, here is the world over here, most, filling most of the right part. And there's this man who is crawling on the earth, and he is doing all that he can to break through this barrier and get to heaven. There is something about this that John understands, and he's, and he's calling warning out to us and saying, it's not about escapism. It's not trying to get from here to there, because that's not what God intended. This idea that I don't need to be concerned with this world because this idea of Gnosticism says that God is not active here. This world, a Gnostic believes, is evil and darkness was created by a lesser God than Adonai. So, do what you want. You have no effect. You have no influence. You have no value. It's kind of a laissez-faire type of a, a, a laziness, if you will, of living in this world. And this is what this flock is experiencing. It's like the world is so bad, I just want to get out of here. I just want to escape. And that might sound like, okay, that's, that's what John is dealing with. We don't have that here. Oh, yeah? I think our, our theology has been tainted by this idea of let's get you baptized 
let's get you saved so that when everything comes to an end, whether it's your physical life comes to an end, or Jesus comes back, you've got your ticket, and you're on that train, right? And we sing songs, I probably mentioned this before, one that I used to love. This world is not my home, I'm just passing through, my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. This idea of that I'm not supposed to be here, I'm supposed to be somewhere else. But that's not what God had in mind when he created us. He told us in the creation story to be fruitful and multiply. As I mentioned in my last sermon, that we, we, uh, we steward this world. We partner with God to do something with this world, and we take it somewhere. The Abrahamic uh, blessing and commission was, I have blessed you to do what? How, why have you been blessed, flock? Why have you been blessed? Just put it in your pocket? Put it in savings account somewhere? No. He told Abraham, I am blessing you so that you might be a blessing and that all nations will know about me. That's the heart of our, that's the heart of our mission and vision. We want to call out to that. And so this, is, this goes against this Gnostic belief. And John is saying, remember who you are. Remember why you were called. Remember why you were created. Consequently, Gnostics considered material existence flawed or evil and held the principal element of salvation to be a direct knowledge of the hidden divinity attained via mystical and esoteric insight. So many Gnostic texts deal not in concepts of sin and repentance, but with illusion and enlightenment. So this is why John will write at the beginning of this end of the letter. I write these things to you who believe in the name, I guess the name again, in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's a repeat of what Chuck so eloquently talked about last week, that we have this eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We have access now, not just later, not just waiting, but today we have access. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we've asked of him. Uh, This season has not been going very well for me. Uh, because my team started off excellent in Major League Baseball. In the month of April, the Pittsburgh Pirates were second in the Major Leagues, and surprising all of the pundits. And now, they're, they're fighting a battle with St. Louis for the last place in the division. You, can you tell I have a problem with this? And I'm not even going to talk to you about the Brewers. I know that our pastor loves that, and that's his one flaw. For <laughs> a baseball fan and know of the history of baseball, there is an individual. His name is Ralph Branca. Does anybody know who Ralph Branca is? Probably not. Ralph Branca uh, was uh, with uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers. 
and he was a three-time all-star pitcher for the Brooklyn Dodgers. He is known for, if we dig into his, uh, into his history and have watched the Jackie Robinson story, he is the one white man on the team that stood side by side with Jackie Robinson when he, was, when he came up and was the very first black player in Major League Baseball. He's the only one, only one to do that. But in the 1951 pennant World Series, the Dodgers were playing the Giants, and they were winning. They were, they were winning not only the series, but the game. And in the bottom of the ninth inning, they pulled this all-star pitcher out uh, to pitch against, uh, don't know his name, Bobby Thompson. And there's two men on base, and the second pitch he pitches it's called the shot that was heard around the world because Bobby hits a home run, a walk-off homer, to win not only the game but the pennant. And the announcer came over the, the loudspeaker and says, the Giants win the pennant! The Giants win the pennant! And this is how Ralph Branca will be remembered in the world. Not for all of the good things that he's done, but this one moment when everybody, anybody remembered him He's like, yeah, that's the only thing that you remember about me. I think we've probably been there. There are probably times where we think, well, I wish people would remember this about me, but this is the thing that always keeps coming up in other people's minds and maybe even in my minds, this idea that I can't do anything good in the world. God has given us eternal life, right? Amen? I mean, that should be the, the biggest amen that we have. It's eternal life. But it, isn't, it doesn't just carry this idea that we are escaping after we, we live this life that is unmemorable. No, it's actually be a memory in the world. The Jewish concept of eternal life, which is written about in the text, is olam haba. It's not, it is not just life in the future, but it is life now and in the future. It is something that we carry with us from the moment that we are born till the day that we will see our Father face to face. And, and we live. This is, John's, this is John's communication with this little flock, this little church. Live an eternal life now. Don't just wait for it. Live in it now. And keep making mistakes along the way because that's in those moments that I'm going to shine through. That's in those moments where I'm going to be uh, proclaimed in the world. I, I have uh, uh, last, uh, the last uh, several weeks, uh, we have been renovating our new house. Uh, Katie and I moved into a home about three miles north of campus on Hollyhock, and, and we're just so very thankful uh, to have this, have this house and needed a lot of renovation and uh, I have my best friend, Rich Watson, here. He uh, has come and just done a tremendous amount of work. And uh, we were working on uh, uh, putting up uh, subway tile for the backsplash in the kitchen. And, uh, and while we were there, uh, one of uh, an, another young man came to the house. And uh, he helped, me, helped us with a tr problem that we could not figure out. We had a light fixture in the uh, kitchen nook and... Uh, we exchanged it out, and every time we would turn the light switch off, it would break the circuit. And I had three or four of us that were working on that light switch, trying to figure out. I don't nothing about it. I just stood there and watched, stood back. I have no idea what's going on. And I have all these people that I respect and are experts, 
And, and, and how, uh, I think he was 20 years old, about 20 years old, uh, this young man came into our house, and, and he, he found it like, like that. Like, oh my gosh. Just felt so, so emasculated, I guess, maybe that's the word I'm going to use. But uh, the beautiful thing that Rich and I were talking about was uh, it, it wasn't, this young man just needed also to be there with us. Like, I was glad to have him there to fix my light. Uh, but he needed male companionship. He needed to see what it's like to work together side by side with other people. That's life. It, it's not so much about the work that we do, but it is about sharing that walk of life, the good and the bad, with one another. It's about living together carrying this message of eternal life in this renovation. Uh, I think it was Thursday night of the first week of July. Uh, we, uh, we needed to move out of our old home, and uh, I got a call from a friend of mine in uh, Buchanan, Michigan, from a uh, previous ministry years ago. And he says, I hear you guys need to move out. Um, I've called a bunch of people, and we had 16 people in our home that Thursday. And, I, I mean, that was just amazing to me. I was very humbled. But the beautiful thing, here's the beautiful thing that for me, was there were people in the home that didn't know each other. And who is this? I had students that are students of mine today, one still living with us. And I had students from my first ministry in Buchanan that I baptized and, and also did their wedding ceremonies. And, and we're making these introductions. They were all different people from different eras of, of a, a life, <laughs> of life. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful to be together and to share this moment that wasn't just about the work, but it was about, here's somebody else that's walking this life that, it, that, that needs one another. Uh, it was just beautiful. It just depends on how we look at our lives. I want to uh, point to a text that when I think of this idea of feeling poorly about ourselves, feeling like this Gnostic philosophy where I just got to get out of here, I'm not worthy, I'm not valuable, I want to draw us to Genesis chapter 4. It's a sad story, quite honestly. But I want you to listen to the words of God in this text. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering of, to the Lord. I just want you to know something right there. There's no commentary in this text as to whether he brought good or bad offering. He just brought an offering. And Abel brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of the flock. There's a description there, but it still doesn't say that it was the best. It was the first. It was fat portions. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. It doesn't say why. It's just that he did. Cain, uh, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. I just want to pause there for a minute. I've got a, uh, we're still unpacking. And I've got, uh, Katie's got a picture of Noah 
from when he was a child on the refrigerator. It's the only picture right now, it's a magnet, that we have on the refrigerator. I don't know why she did this, because I think she's regretting it now. Because the, one of the students that, came, uh, that lives with us actually in our home looks at that picture and he says, is Noah your favorite? Because I don't see any pictures of Daniel. <laughs> and I kind of wonder if maybe that's where Cain is in this moment. Abel's your favorite. Now, I, I have no worth. I have no value. But then listen to what the Lord said to Cain. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door, and it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I wonder what God was talking about, if you do what is right or if you do what is wrong. I I just want to posit that, that, that he may not be saying that what Cain did was bad, in the action of giving, but the way that he is responding to God's approval. And he's saying, why are you downcast, Cain? I love you just as much as I love Abel. In some ways, I think God is saying to him, Cain, keep trying. Realize who you are and live into that potential. Because, and if you do what is right, if you forgive yourself, and you pick up and move on, and you live into that potential, you will be accepted. But if you sin, if you let that grace go, let the forgiveness that I want to give you go, you're going to be lost. You're going to be lost. And I think that that gives us, and it's just my opinion, because this, this next text I think is one that we, I'm still trying to understand. I don't want to lump you in on that. I have a hard time understanding what the unforgivable sin is. And then the rest of the story. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right. Because Abel, who was accepted by God, is dead. And Cain who decided to not live in that grace, is alive. So John will go on to say, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. We have said, and we've used the word again, I think it's a bit confusing because it is a church word, it's a Bible word, it's not a bad word, but blasphemy, as defined in some religions or religious-based laws, is an insult that shows contempt, disrespect, or lack of reverence concerning a deity, an object considered sacred or something considered inviolable. Viable? That's what Wikipedia says. I think that's right. <laughs> to deny that God has the ability and his love to forgive us and to say, I don't want that forgiveness. 
I went into the Morris Inn as I do every morning to get my cup of coffee before I walk over to the law school. I go to the Cafe J. They've got good coffee there. And uh, I usually get there before the turnover and shift. And there, is a, uh, there are greeters there at the door at the Morris Inn. Much like, you know, Notre Dame is they know how to greet you. <laughs> go to the stadium. Welcome to Notre Dame. Go into the Morris Inn. Everybody says, welcome to Notre Dame. I've got a, there's a young lady there, her name is Tanya. I see her every morning, uh, but recently I hadn't seen her because she had been out and uh, had back issues. And uh, she was back, and I gave her a big hug. I was so glad to see her, and we've kind of made a connection, uh, a bit of a spiritual connection. I know that she's a believer because of the way that she talks, and so we have some wonderful conversations. And, and, and we had an opportunity to talk uh, just the other day, and, and she told me about her back issues. I wasn't sure I was going to be back. Uh, I, I didn't know that this physical ailment was going, and I thought it was just going to take me. But you sh- here's what she said, because I was like, well, I'm so glad you're back. What happened? I thought, was there physical therapy? There was there surgery? Was there medication? And here's what she said. I had to learn to forgive. And she didn't tell me what the story was. But that was beautiful to me. It was like this thing is holding me back from wholeness. It is holding me back from being well. This, this thing. Now, I'm not sure whether she was talking about forgiving somebody else or forgiving herself. But I think what Tanya spoke speaks to exactly what John is speaking about. Because John has been talking about eternal life. He has been talking about living in the Father and being a part of this family. And if we have a hard time accepting God's grace, accepting his forgiveness, and trying it on our own, we're going to be just like Cain. And God is saying, why are you downcast? Why are you downcast? Because I'm here. I love you. Live an eternal life. I've got this for you, free. And Tanya realized this. The heart of Judaism and Christianity is this promise of forgiveness. We can seek forgiveness from God and from our fellow human beings, and in doing so, our burdens will be lifted. But in the nature of things, uh, in the nature of things, making amends is incomplete. There are some misdeeds, some angry words, some failures to take a stand that are never forgiven because we cannot forgive ourselves. The sin is its only punishment. And these are the idols that we carry. These are the things that we carry. We carry around these unpardonable sins throughout our lives, and it's unhealthy. And when we do, we, much like the little flock that John was writing to, this guilt, this idol we hold, is keeping us from the fullness of what God created us all to be. So instead, we should live in the realization that God does give us eternal life through his son. We live in confidence of this, and then this is what it does. It helps us to act with compassion when we are tempted to remain bystanders. You know what I'm talking about? So you watch. We were just talking the other day about, I've said this, Friends have said this, my children have become my mentors and my students have become my teachers because they are showing me over and over again what it means to live justly, 
and the world, because they have a heart for those who are oppressed and are marginalized. We are vigilant and to watch our words so that we do not humiliate others. Oh, how many times I have thrown out, like I've cast a word out, and I'm like, ah, oh, come back here, come back here. I didn't want to say that. And, and then we also, we risk our own safety to protect our neighbors. That's, that's what it's like to live like a child of God. That's what it's like to realize and embrace this eternal life. And so then John will continue, conclude his letter by saying this. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. That kind of call back to Jesus in the wilderness, because he realized that. The evil one wants to throw lies all the time, but God protects us from that evil one. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him. We are in him, who is true by being his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So, my little children, let go of your idols. Let go of that that stands in the way of your vision of God who loves you and standing away in the way of God's vision of you that says, I long to be with you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for calling us together today as this flock uh, that we can not only experience your love for us, but we, we, we throw it all back at you at your feet. And we sit on your lap and we hear your words. And Father, thank you for drawing us together as a family uh, so that we might walk this together, experiencing this love with one another and the grace and the forgiveness that you pour out to us richly. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.